You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. So, the last couple of weeks we've been starting off the sermon with having a question that you can talk about. And so I wanted to do that one more time today. And so you see the question up on the board or up on the screen. And it says, what is the best gift you have ever received or given? What is the best gift you have ever received or given? And I'm going to make it easy and hard for you, okay? You don't say Jesus, okay? So, so, so we're going to assume that's the answer for many of us here, uh, but just so that you will have some other things to share, um, I want you to answer this question just Talk, turn to somebody, a neighbor nearby, one or two or three of you, and answer this question. What is the best gift you have ever received or given? Very good. I see a lot of smiles, and I hear good conversation going on. So I'm sure that all of you had something to share. As we have been going through the Advent season, there are four gifts that I think that God gives to us that we want to give to others that we need ourselves. And these four gifts of Advent, indeed, I believe, are the best gifts that we could ever receive and the best gifts that we could ever give. And so if you remember, the first candle that we lit a few weeks ago was the candle of hope. And we all know that this is indeed something that we need. We have hope for the coming new year. We have hope that whatever trials we're going through are going to get better. We have hope that whatever problems we have will be resolved soon, but certainly in the coming year. We also have positive hopes that our faith will grow. We have positive hopes that the things that are good will continue to get better, that our families will share love, and that our faith will indeed be inspired, and that our church would be a place where people would come and feel the graciousness and the goodness of God and the hope that God gives. And then we also know that we all need peace, and certainly our world is a very chaotic place. And this is the gift that we all want and the gift that we all need. And it's the greatest gift, especially in times of turmoil, in times where we have questions and uncertainty. We long for peace, but it's the greatest gift to have when God gives it to us. And then last week, we talked about joy. And indeed, joy is a gift that we want and that we often interpret as happiness. It can include happiness, but it's much deeper. It's a joy that's within our hearts, and it's a joy that flows out of us in a very living way, that we can give joy to those who don't have joy, or we can share joys and multiply joys with those who do. And today, 
maybe the greatest gift of all, the gift that we want, maybe more than anything else, the gift that's talked about in our world, the theme of so many movies that we'll go and see, the theme of so many novels that we're going to read, the theme of so many prayers that we have is God, help us to know love. Let us see love. Let us experience love. Let us know what it's really like. And so today, the fourth Advent, we look at the light of love in Jesus Christ. We look at the light that he gives to us, the hope that Advent is, the expectation that we have, and that this indeed is a reminder in lighting the light that the light of the world came in Jesus, and he came to give us this gift. And indeed, he is the best gift of all. And he is the best gift that we can give to somebody else. It is the love that God gives to us because it's what we long for, maybe more than anything else. And so today, we want to look at how do we continue to find and give a fulfillment of this deepest longing. Where does it come from? Why is it even important? Why is it that people want Love, why is that so important other than the fact that it makes us feel good? I believe it's because that God made us for love. God made us in his own image. And as we look at the qualities of love, as we look at that which gives love, we find that it is God himself. We're looking at Psalm chapter 89 today. And if you'd open up your Bibles, you would turn to Psalm chapter 89, verses 1 through 4, and it'll also be up on the screen. But let's read together verses 1 and 2 together. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you establish your faithfulness in heaven itself. One of the great words in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word chesed. And that's the word that we translated up there, great love. In some of our Bibles, that word is translated loving kindness. and others, is translated steadfast love. And it's used over 250 times in the Old Testament to refer to the love that God gives. It is a love of kindness. It is a love of forgiveness. It is a love that longs to offer mercy to us. It is a love of loyalty. It is a love that is absolutely unfailing. It is the love that never changes. And as we often think about it, it is a love that comes to us unconditionally. We cannot earn it. We can never deserve it. But we all can have it because God wants us to. And another great word that we have here from the Old Testament is the word faithfulness. And this, again, refers to God, that God is a faithful God. And the word faithful means to be firm and secure. And so when we put these things together, what we see is that we have a God who loves us unconditionally, that love is secure, and that love is firm. It stands forever. It is something that God wants us to have. And then if we look in verses 3 and 4, we see that the psalmist gives us yet one more big word in the Old Testament that helps us to understand the love and the faithfulness of God. Let's read together verses 3 and 4. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. And so this word is covenant. 
And covenant is a word that allows us to understand the fullness of the meaning of God's unconditional love and his faithfulness. A covenant is much greater than a contract. A contract often has an end date, like it's only good for a certain amount of time. But a covenant, as we see in the Bible, is something that God gives forever. A contract is something that usually covers bits and pieces of someone's life. Like you have a, a contract, like you're going to give somebody some time to do some work. Or you have a contract job and it's going to last a certain way. And then they're going to use your services and then it's over. But a covenant covers everything about ourselves. It is the wholeness of our lives. And that God offers to us this covenant commitment that he will always love us, he will always care for us, and he will be the one who initiates and fulfills the promise of a covenant to watch out for us. He's in it for our best interests. Contracts are usually for our best interests to protect ourselves, but a covenant, God is saying, I am going to protect you. Now you see up there a ring, and that is an engagement ring, and it's a very important ring in my life. Um, this is the engagement ring. You're probably thinking that's the one I gave Carol, but it's not. Um, it's not that big, the one I gave Carol. Um, this is my mother's engagement ring uh, that she received from my dad when they, were, when they got married over 60 years ago. And as many of you know, mom passed away a couple years ago. But when uh, mom was very sick and uh, she was um, getting ready to go into hospice-type care, um, my dad took the ring off of my mom and he gave it to me. And he says, I want you to have this and I want you to do with it what you want. You could um, sell it, you could buy multiple rings if you want, um, or you could keep it and, and give it to one of your kids. Well, in God's timing, a couple months later, after mom passed away, uh, my oldest son, Gabriel, uh, was telling us he was going to get engaged. And so I asked him. Karen and I talked about it, and we decided that it'd be best to keep that ring in the family. And so we offered it to Gabriel. Now, I know that this is a sort of an old type of cut. It's not real fancy. It's a traditional cut. And nowadays, young ladies, they have sort of like, you know, different types of cut, like teardrops and many different types of settings. So I wasn't sure. I didn't want to assume um, that Gabriel's fiance would want it. And so I said, well, you can have it if, if JC, Jesse wants it. And so um, Gabriel asked her, asked Jesse, um, would you like to have my grandmother's engagement ring? as yours. Now remember when she came and she told me, she said at that time, Uncle Curtis, she said, I would be honored to wear your mother's ring. And so now my son's wife wears my mom's engagement ring. It's her engagement ring now. It belongs to her. And this is the covenant my parents had from the moment they got married until mom died, till death do they part that she wore that ring for over 60 years. And now, as it says there in verse 4, that God gives us a covenant so that it will be passed on to the next generation. And so literally, we were able to pass on this covenant ring from one generation into the next. And this is what God wants to do with you and with me. He gives us his love and he gives us his promise. He gives us his covenant and he wants it to last forever. 
Now, in the Old Testament, there was, of course, two sides of the covenant. And we see that God promised to keep his covenant no matter what. But for the people to enjoy it, they had to obey God. They had to obey his laws. And they broke it constantly over and over and over again. They broke their side of the covenant. But God didn't break his. And so God decided that he would fulfill the covenant ultimately in a new covenant. And he did this in the life of Jesus Christ. Would you read with me? This is Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. Let's read it together. Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. See, so the first covenant of the Old Testament was that where God had said, you will be blessed as you obey me and I will fulfill my covenant. But the people broke the covenant. But God says man cannot be fully obedient. Man cannot be perfect. And so I'm going to fulfill the covenant completely by sending the Savior, Jesus Christ. He will be the new covenant. He will be the one who fulfills the absolute, ultimate, loving kindness, faithfulness of God in the covenant of Jesus' love. And this is where love comes from. And this is where God has made us to be receptacles of such a love. And God wants us to know that this is the love of Advent. Now, the verses that we have been going through for the last three, four weeks have been verses from the Psalms and then the New Testament. They are the traditional verses of Advent throughout church history. Now, traditionally, verses 5 through 18 are not read during the Advent season, but they are part of the scriptures of Advent. And so I want us just to quickly look at God in these verses because I think it helps us to bridge the gap between our understanding of God, of, of why he wants to give us love, but also the person of God and the power of God, that love has substance behind it. It's not just some sentimental feeling, but there is a power in love. There is an awesomeness in love. There is a mandate in love that comes from the creator of the universe. And so we see this in verses 5 through 18 in God's power over all of creation. And I'm going to read verses 5 through 8. You can just follow along. And there it says, The heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. O Lord Almighty, who is like you, you are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. We see that word repeated over and over again, that God is almighty, that God is mighty, that God is able to fulfill that which he says he will do and that he is faithful to do so. This is the God who has made the promise to us that he will love us. He is an almighty, all-powerful awesome creator God and he controls all things and he made all things and no matter what happens in the world no matter what happens in your and my life he is still God and he is still almighty and he can do that which is the impossible 
He can do all things. He rules in the heavens. And it is this ruling God who wants to bring the rule of his love into our life. It is this ruling God who comes to take care of the chaos in our lives. In verses 9 through 13, we read this about chaos. And it says, you, God, you, O Lord, rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. You crushed Rahab like one of the slain. With your strong arm, you scattered your enemies. The heavens are yours and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. You created the north and the south, Tabor and Hermon. Sing for joy at your name. Your arm is endued with power. Your hand is strong. Your right hand exalted. Again, we see here the power of God over nature. And we've all probably seen massive storms. And some of us maybe have been in them. And this is a picture of a terrible storm over the ocean, over the sea. And the psalmist says that God crushed one called Rahab. Rahab was a mythical figure in the Eastern world at that time. And it was the mythical figure having the power of chaos in the world. So when the heathen world saw the chaos that was going on, they would attribute it to this mythical figure called Rahab. Rahab then would have been a cultic figure, a satanic power in that world. But when the psalmist says that God crushed Rahab, He crushed Rahab with his strong arms. He destroyed the enemies. What the psalmist was saying is that God is the God of order and the God who destroys chaos. And where there are places of chaos in our life, this almighty God comes to spread out his mighty hand with his power. And it is all-encompassing. The Bible says here that it is to the north and to the south that God's power is reigning. It says also that it is at Mount Tabor and Mount Hermon. And if you know the Holy Land, the River Jordan runs north and south. And so it's sort of like a compass pointing north from the Dead Sea up to the Sea of Galilee. But on the west side, on the left side going north, There's Tabor, Mount Tabor. And on the right side of the Jordan River is Mount Hermon. And so the psalmist is painting a picture here to those who would understand in that day of reading it. That God was the power, not just of all the created order that we see outside of the earth, but even down to the places where we live. To the north and to the south of us, to the east and to the west of us. God is all-powerful. But he's not just all-powerful. He's also all good. He is all righteous. In verses 14 through 18, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. And then again, we see those two words again, love and faithfulness. They go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They exult in your righteousness For you are their glory and strength. And by your favor, you exalt our horn. Indeed, our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. God is righteous. 
And in the fulfillment of his covenant and in the expression of his love, he shows forth both righteousness and justice. We live in a world of chaos because there is so much unrighteousness. But God came to bring us righteousness through the baby Jesus. And as Jesus grew and as Jesus taught, he taught about righteousness. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died for righteousness. Jesus is God's ruler. Jesus is the one who controls all that is around us, all that is before us. He is the ruler and the one who takes care of everything that we have and everything that we need. And the Bible says that he is the Holy One. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, the Bible says that Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. The unholy ones, their sins were paid for by the holy one. And so we have in two sides of the world, we have that which is unrighteous, that which is sinful. But then we have a loving God who is also a holy God. And in his holiness, he cares for all that which is good and all that which is perfect. So we don't want to have just love in the world we also want to have holiness in the world. If there was just love in the world, then it would just be very sentimental, but there would also be lawlessness because you just say, well, we love, we just let everything go. But it's not like that in Scripture. There's a morality that God wants us to have, and that morality comes from the holiness of God, as we read in verse 18. He is the Holy One of Israel. This is our ruler. This is our God. This is our King. This is Jesus. And when there is a holy God, we have a God who brings order and rule and gives meaning to love so that our covenant love with God is a love of commitment that God cares for us. And he brings to us the very best that one could have. And he brings this to us in the promise of human ruler named David, but ultimately the divine ruler named Jesus. In verses 19 through 22, we read this. Once you spoke in a vision to your faithful people, you said, I have bestowed strength on a warrior. I have exalted a young man from the people. I have found David, my servant, and my sacred oil. I have anointed him. My hand will sustain him. Surely my arm will strengthen him. No enemy will subject him to tribute. No wicked man will oppose him. And so God was going to bring down to the earth a man after his own heart. It was going to be a human ruler. His name is David. And David would be the king of Israel. He would be an example of that which God was going to bring through Jesus. He was going to be a righteous ruler. And he was anointed by God in verse 20. God personally anointed David. And this word anointed is the same word that we get anointed one or Messiah speaking about our Lord Jesus. And so God gives his human ruler that the Israel people wanted so badly. They wanted a king. But in a king that was on earth, God was using a picture of what he ultimately wanted for the people to have a king from heaven to rule in the hearts of those that would follow after him. And so we see this ruler, his strength in verse 23 through 26 it says, I will crush his foes before him and strike down his adversaries. My faithful love will be with him. 
and through my name his horn will be exalted. I will set his hand over the sea, his right hand over the rivers. He will call out to me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my my savior. David was the one who had received from God the faithful love. And then the Bible says that it's through the name of David that his horn would be exalted. And horn was a picture of power and strength. It was like an animal that would raise its horn in strength and in courage. And so David was being given the horn of strength and courage from God. But ultimately, again, this was to be fulfilled in Jesus. Now, David would say to God, you are my father, You are my rock, and you are my savior. But you and I can follow in the ways of David. We can be like David and follow after his son, our savior. And we can follow after him by also seeing that he is our father and our holy God. Jesus calls himself father in the scriptures, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, these verses that are well known at Christmas time, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus said that when you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus also said, I and the Father are one. And so we read these words of Jesus, these four virtues of Jesus, these four titles that that he's a wonderful counselor. Do we need counsel? Do we need wisdom? Do we need consolation? It comes in Jesus. He is also called mighty God. He is the one who is part of the Trinity. He is creator God. He is also everlasting Father. He is our heavenly father who cares for us and loves for us. And he is the prince of peace. The one who gives us that which allows us to be able to sleep at night and to know there is a future and to know that there can be tranquility even within our hearts. And we learn this from him as our wonderful, eternal father. But not only is he our father, he is also our savior. And David would look to God as his Savior, but we look to Jesus as our Savior. When the angel was speaking to Joseph, Mary's husband, he said this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is the Hebrew name Joshua. And and Joshua means the Lord, Yahweh, is salvation. Jesus is salvation. Jesus is our Savior. And so when we look at the four candles of Advent, we have hope and we have peace and we have joy and we have love. But none of them can happen to us without Jesus. The, The middle candle, the white candle, as was said before, Michelle shared with us in the announcement, the white candle represents Christ, and it is white to represent his purity. And it's also central because it is without, without the central candle, we couldn't have the other four. 
Traditionally, the Christ candle is lit on Christmas Eve, and so that's when we'll light it this Tuesday night. But God gives to us the light of Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the one who came at Christmas to care for all of our sins and to draw us nigh and close unto him. And I know that many of us here have known Jesus for some time. Many of us here are already Christians. But Christmas is more than just a remembrance of of Jesus' birth. It's also a remembrance of why Jesus came so that we would walk with him and talk with him and grow with him. In John chapter 17, Jesus says this, Righteous Father, and Jesus is speaking to his God, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. God wants to be in us. Jesus wants to be in us. This word known is a very intimate word. It means to know a person deeply, to know who they are, to know about them and to still love them and to love them and to want to know more about them. And Christmas is also an invitation to us to draw closer into the knowledge of who Jesus is, to know closer into who the person of God is, to walk with him and to grow with him. And I want to invite you to think about what's the greatest gift that you could give to God? What's the greatest gift at Christmas time that you could give to him? What gift do you think God wants? What would be more important to him than anything else? It's not our money. It's not our service. It's not our talents. It's not our hard work. It's just simply us. And that's what begins that walk with Jesus when we have that relationship with him. That we would know Jesus in our hearts and in our lives and invite him in as he knocks on the door. And that our hearts might be like a manger. Like a a place where Jesus can dwell. And I want to invite you today that if you've never invited Jesus into your life. And you want to know him as your savior. That you can pray and ask him into your life. You can have your heart as the place that God Messiah, the anointed one, lives. It's also a time at Christmas for us to say, Lord, I want to be serious about my life. I want to love you genuinely and follow you more than ever before. I want this coming new year to be a year that I grow in you and become the person you want me to be. Inside your bulletin, you see there's a response sheet that I'd like you to pull out. It just says Christmas 2019 on the top and if you would you can take a pen or pencil and if you'd fill it out we'll turn it in after we have a time of prayer I want you to see what what challenges when what invitations we have there one would be that we can pray and ask the Lord into our lives and to truly commit ourselves to becoming the Christians that God wants us to be The other is to be serious and sincere about committing and recommitting our lives to follow Jesus. And in following that commitment, there's different things that we can continue to do. Maybe you're not yet ready to be a Christian, but you want to know more, and so you could mark the first box. 
But as was talked about earlier, you can join the baptism or membership class and you can mark those boxes. Or you may want to know more about them and we can talk to you about that. Maybe you want to join a discipleship group where you can grow more intimately with other people and learn more about walking with God. Or you want to be part of a fellowship group. Maybe you want to read through the whole New Testament in 2020. And if you mark that box, we'll be in touch with you and giving you the resources so that you can do that. And also, maybe you said, you know what, I really want to do it. I've always wanted to do this. I want to read through the whole Bible. And so 2020 would be a great year to increase your vision of all of God's Word. And again, if you mark that box, we'll give you the resources so you'll know how to read through the Bible systematically in one year. I want you to think about these things, and we're going to pray, and you can mark whichever box you want to make a commitment to, and then we'll, we'll pass in those sheets. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, as we, we come together this day, we thank you for the love and the covenant you give to us in Jesus Christ. The love that came at Christmas in a baby. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who today says, I want to be certain, I want to be sure, and I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to be a Christian. And if that is you, you could pray a prayer, something like this, in your heart, in your own way. Lord Jesus, I come to you today, and I want you to be my Savior. I open up my life to you like, like a manger, and I ask you, Lord, to come in and to live there. I confess to you my sin, and I acknowledge my belief in you that you came to die for me and that you rose from the dead. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want to be committed to you as a true follower of Jesus. I give my life to you, Lord. And for others of us who are here and saying, Lord, I, I really want to renew my faith. I want it to be stronger than ever in 2020. I want to give to you a commitment of my whole heart, of everything. Lord, I pray that in this coming year, I'll be faithful in reading your word, in prayer, in fellowship, in worship. And so I commit that to you as well. Lord Jesus, we come to you today. We thank you that at this Christmas time, you give so much to us. You give us yourself. We pray, Lord, that even as we give ourselves to you, it would be the gift that would bless you, the best gift of all, our very hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.